You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Have you ever sat around and wondered and thought about how your life would be different if you just had a small adjustment, how your standard of living might have been increased? If you've, have you ever th- sat around and thought, you know, how would my life be different if maybe at my job I just made 10 cents more an hour? Uh, most of us probably haven't thought about it in that terms because uh, when you spread that out over a year, it's probably about $200 difference in your life. And, you know, that might be able to buy you an, an extra pizza every week. It might be able to allow you to eat out or go to Starbucks uh, once or twice a, m- a month. So really, if not an idea of something that we've probably dreamed about. I just wish I could have a 10 cent raise. But but maybe at some point in your life, that was a big deal and was a, it was a bigger deal and you would have been life-changing for you just to have that extra $200 a year. It would take you from where you're at and maybe in college, that $200 is a big difference, right, throughout your year and it might allow you to, to change your life a little bit. Or how many of you have ever thought about how having an extra dollar an hour would really allow you to have a different standard of living? You know, $2,000 extra a year, uh, maybe it would allow you to have a different or a better vehicle. Maybe it would allow you to buy clothes that weren't, uh, you know, hand-me-down or new off the rack. It might allow you to, to travel someplace once a year and have a better vacation. Maybe allow you to go to a Chiefs game and, and sit there and cheer with people or allow you to get a or buy someone that you love a gift. $2,000 might make a little bit more of a difference in our life than $200 a year. Or, or what about maybe if you really wanted your standard of living to be increased, of maybe having $10 more an hour, you know, having $20,000 more a year and thinking about how that would change your standard of living. That extra $20,000 might allow you to buy a different house. It might allow you to maybe have a kid and not have that financial burden and be able to buy diapers. It it might allow you to eat out more frequently and and do more things with your friends. Having $20,000 a year might allow you to start investing and saving for your future and putting money in your 401k or your Roth IRA. And it might change your life having $20,000 extra a year. You know what would be even better than that is if you had an extra $100 an hour in your paycheck, having $200,000 a year and thinking about how much different your life would be. That would really change your standard of living, right? Uh, You could actually kind of get a little bit stupid with that type of money. Having $200,000, you could waste a little bit more of it, maybe go have a fun weekend at Vegas with your whole entire family and not just you, right? You could buy season tickets to places, Uh, you could buy and have have the vehicle of your dream, you could really have the house of your dream, maybe even two houses at at that rate. And, you know, having $200,000 could really change your life. You could wear any jewelry you wanted, have any outfit, change your outfit as frequently maybe as you wanted, and really you could have a different standard of living. How would your life change if your standard of living increased? 
I think all of us at some point in time have thought that, have wondered that, have dreamed that, have envisioned that in some way or another. And maybe you've set goals, maybe you've achieved that, maybe you have had that experience in life where your standard of living changed because of different things you did, different uh, goals you put into place, accomplishing different things, getting different degrees, whatever it might be. But most of us have dreamed about having that next level of standard of living. I don't think most of us are, are typically happy where we're at now. We always want that next one. I don't think we ever dream of lowering our standard of living, but as Americans, we're always striving to increase and improve our standard of living. Uh, and today we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. We're wrapping up our series on uh, from the book The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And the hopes of this through this series is that we've discovered the secrets of how God sees our treasures and wants us to use them to be a blessing to us and to others. So today we are concluding this series of messages by looking at not just our standard of living, but also our standard of of giving. And that is really the principle that Alcorn lays out in this chapter that we're going to be going over. And someone who really understood and challenged people in that way was not only Jesus, but Paul. If you look at a lot of the ways that he interacted with churches, the things that he wrote to people, the ways that he challenged the different new Christians that he interacted with on his missionary journeys from town to town, from church to church, he would get to know these per people personally and would have insight into how to challenge them, how to help them grow, how to help them become the Christians that maybe God desires for them to be. He had this heart and this passion for the churches and the people in it, and so he he would have these teachings, he would have these things, these abilities, these skills, these uh, goals for them, if you will, these challenges to them to, to become the people that God really wants us to be. You know, one of the churches that he writes to uh, is a church in Corinth, and it's one of those churches that he has some good things to say about, but he also has lots of challenges with them. They seem to, to be missing the mark just by a little bit every once in a while with certain things. And so even though he writes about it in one book, even in the second book, he's reiterating that fact. So you wonder if they're missing the mark a little bit when he's writing to them, or he just knows that we're people and we forget things. It's like one sermon to the next, we forget things. One letter to the next, they forgot things. And so he just need to reprove his point as a preacher and as a teacher. And so in the book of Corinthians, we have the first and the second one, this church that was uh, in need of some guidance from Paul. And he wanted them to remember and to know one of the key aspects of living our Christian life was the aspect of, of giving and making that something that is important to us, making that something that we intentionally do. And some of the verses that we're going to look at as a reminder to the church in Corinth about doing that, that they are not only supposed to think of themselves, but they're also supposed to think of other churches and do things for them, even if they had never been there, even if they weren't personally connected. It is a reminder that we are part of this global church this global mission. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we read this, that Paul writes to that church. It says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
as I directed the churches of Galatia. And so Paul is asking these churches to start collecting money, to start saving money, to start putting money aside. He's going to be coming through and he wants them to start having this offering, if you will, uh, of being able to give it to the other churches. They're not alone in this. This is a, a multi-church process and he is doing this intentionally. He's telling them to do this. So you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should also go, they will accompany me. And so here we have this picture of what Paul is challenging them to do, to be a church that is giving, to be storing up, to be saving up, to be thinking of the Jerusalem church, because the Jerusalem church, unlike Corinth, wasn't this prosperous, financially well-off state. They were kind of struggling, they were kind of hurting, uh, they were under persecution, they were constantly trying to overcome the obstacles that were put in their way, and so this was a way that the Corinth church could help out the Jerusalem church in a way to help them with all the ways that the Jerusalem church had been and the significance that they played, not only for Paul, but also for the churches in that region. And so we have this idea of Paul that he sets before them, and it's this treasure principle that, that Randy Alcorn locks onto as all, also, and it says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Paul is directing these churches to collect money, not to better their own church, but to better the churches of other places. It wasn't so that they could build a grander, better place for them to worship in themselves. It was to be able to meet the needs of other places. It was to give away. You know, one of the things that we are taught as Christians is that that aspect of having a giving heart, and we've talked about generosity in the past couple sermons, but one of the things that we deal with, one of the questions that we oftentimes get asked, one of the things that we hear in churches over and over again, it seems, when it comes to money is this idea of tithing, right? And some of us, all of us at some point have asked that question or been confronted with that question or wrestled with that thought of, what percentage of my income should I give? What am I supposed to? What am I maybe required to give? And we hear different things from different places, and you can go out and read different articles. You can listen to different teachers on teachings on this, and you get a different perspective depending on where they're at, what church they're in, uh, what their background is, and really what scriptures they want to turn to, and if they value the Old Testament versus just the New Testament teachings of Jesus. See, if you look at the Old Testament teaching, there was this person by the name of Abraham who gave 10% of his uh, income, not his income, of his, uh, he had this opportunity to gain additional wealth, and out of that wealth, he gave 10% to Melchizedek. And so we have that example that set that Abraham does that he is going to give 10% to them. And so we get this idea of giving 10% to the church or giving 10% to the, the temple and that type of idea from the Old Testament. 
Malachi says that the Israelites robbed God actually by withholding not only their mandatory tithe, that 10%, but also their voluntary offering. And so we have this idea of these two different things, tithes and offering. And sometimes if we're new to the church, that can be a little bit confusing. What is the difference? And really for us as Christians who have maybe been in the faith a little bit longer, it can still be a little bit confusing. What's our tithe? What's our offering? And what are we really required to give? Because we don't want to rob God as Malachi is fearful of them doing. And so what is God's expectation of us? Is it 10% and more? Or where are we supposed to fall in here? And so it's interesting that here Paul, as he's writing to the church of Corinth, you know, he doesn't tell them, hey, put aside 10% of everything that you make. I'm going to come collect it. I want you to have that there. I want you to have that ready. Make sure everybody is giving 10%. We're going to do our tithe and then your offering on top of that. If anybody wants to give more, you can do that. I'm going to come. I'll collect that and then we'll go back to Jerusalem. Paul doesn't set that 10% standard on there. And actually, interestingly, Jesus doesn't ever talk about that 10% as well. But the example that is in the Old Testament sets that for us. And so many people, Alcorn included, states that his view is that tithing is something that we need to be doing, that 10%. And his idea is that tithing isn't, and sometimes we view it as a ceiling, it's this mark that we get to. And I've heard different pastors at different times in different places say, well, you know, if you can't get that 10%, start at 1%, work to two, and then five, and then 10. Once you get to 10, then you're golden, right? Uh, it's this ceiling, and Alcorn says that's really not the ceiling, that's the floor. That's where you should start in this book, and then give beyond that. I think that there is some danger in that, though. If that number becomes more important than our relationship with God, or if it hinders our relationship with God, I think that that is a good number. It's a good thing to have there and a good goal to have, and we really should be giving. And I think the standard is set there in the Old Testament with that number. But the danger is it should never become something that is legalistic. That 10% shouldn't be something that you do begrudgingly. In fact, in Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians the second time, in 9-7, he says this, Each one must give as much as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so this is kind of the standard that Paul sets for the churches that he's writing to. Paul encourages them to give what God has put on their heart, uh, that they have this connection and this desire to seek God and allow God to really guide what that might be. Understanding that some people might be asked to give more, some people might be asked to give less, depending on their circumstances, depending on their heart, depending on their relationship with God, where they're at in life, you know, what different things are at play here. And so Paul tells them to not do it reluctantly or under compulsion but that God loves a cheerful giver. And so that determines and kind of shows us that, that being someone who is a cheerful giver is part of our relationship with God. And, you know, it would be different or kind of come off a little bit weird if 
a husband just came home from Valentine's. Every Valentine's is like, all right, here's your gift certificate. I had to buy it because you'd be mad at me if I didn't buy you this gift certificate this Valentine's. I guess we'll go out to eat too since that's what Bob's doing with his wife. You know, uh, so I don't really want to, but because I'm supposed to and have to, I guess we'll go and do this. And you sit there and they're like mad about it the entire dinner. Uh, and you know, that, that, that isn't the attitude that this is supposed to be, right? That would kind of destroy and ruin the entire mood of the night the wife would be like let's not do that again that was not I can't tell you didn't really care and probably blow up and there's a little fight after they get back right and so really that is what God is wanting us to avoid we don't want to just reluctantly or forcibly give thanks to God it's about our heart and about having a cheerful wonderful attitude that we are more than excited to give this God has expectations of a sure but when our offerings are voluntary and we're doing it out of the love or the kindness or out of our relationship with God and we are able to do that with that attitude, it changes our entire perspective when it comes to giving. It's not just something that we write. It's not just something that we uh, have taken out every week or every month because it's what we're, we have to do. It's something that we get to do. And when we are asked to give to God, we aren't doing it because Jesus or God wants to manipulate or pressure us. God wants us to give, whatever it is, cheerfully. So this idea of uh, this treasure principle is, is this next step. When we start increasing our standard of giving, uh, it changes our standard of living, right? I think when we hear that number, that 10%, oh, then we start to do the math in our head. Well, I'm only giving 3% now. If I give another 7, that's this much money. And that means I'm going to have to stop doing these things. Uh, if I increase my giving, then my standard of living is going to decrease. And that is one of the struggles, I think, that we have in our lives as we get comfortable at a certain place of our standard of living. And so our, if we increase our giving, that standard of living is going to decrease, just like inflation is doing to us now or some of our standards of living is decreasing because we are having to give more and more through that inflation you know type mindset so we understand and one of the fears of not being a cheerful giver is in, when we start to have that battle within internally of that fear of lowering our standard of living Oftentimes, people will say, well, that 10% or that number, that amount is something that I just can't do. And I think in Alcorn, as he was dealing with people, he would have these conversations and people would tell them that, you know what, I just cannot afford to tithe. I can't afford to do offering, uh, you know, and then he would ask them, if your income was reduced by 10%, would you die? And they would say no, and he would then say, then you've admitted that you can afford to tithe. It's just that you don't want to. And I'm not saying that it's easy to do that. I'm just saying that it's much easier to live on 90% or 50% or 10% of your income inside the will of God than it is to live on 100% outside of it. But once we learn to give, once we learn to increase our standard of giving, and the standard of living becomes less significant because we understand about the bigger picture. We understand that giving to others, giving to God's kingdom is more important than maybe my standard of living of how big the TV is on my wall or how much money I have in my bank account, right? Or what year the car is that I'm driving. 
Once we learn to give, tithing becomes irrelevant. Just like most things in life, we start to get in that habit. We make it a something that we are going to do cheerfully, and we make it a, a priority, and we start to do it, and we start to practice it. We start to make those adjustments in life that we start to not miss it. We become more and more practiced at it, and we can make a bigger impact and be able to give better. You know, it's interesting that, that even though, and kind of maybe this surprises you, maybe it doesn't, uh, you know, the, the standard there is 10%, right? The Christians give 10%. That's usually what is commonly taught. But if you poll people, Barna did, and asked, all right, what percentage of your income do you actually tithe or give an offering? And, and it was found that actually most Americans, most American Christians give probably on the average of two to three percent of their income in tithes and offering. And so that is kind of a little bit under that 10 percent mark by quite a bit. But the amazing thing about that is even though it's only at two or three percent, a statistic that I came across this week is that Christians made up 70 percent of all American philanthropy. Even at that 2 to 3% mark, they made up 70% of all philanthropy in America at $300 billion in total that Christians gave away. Imagine if they actually gave that 10%, uh, they, and even at that $3 billion, that outgives the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. If we all gave more, and that number was $900 billion, Imagine how much more we would be able to give. No matter how many more people would be potentially exposed to the gospel message, how many more people might come to Christ because their needs are being met, because they had an interaction, because they had a relationship with somebody, because somebody was loving them or showing them that. You know, that is one of the things that's connected to what we give is our heart and our attitude in that giving. If we are willing to give to others, they see the love of God and see that through Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 14 through 15 says this, At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And so Paul is saying, you guys have it off well right now, give out of your blessings and help them now, but eventually that's going to, tables are going to turn, you're going to experience suffering, and then the Jerusalem church will, will experience blessings, and you'll need those at some point. And one of the amazing things about Christian faith is how we care and love each other. There are always somebody who is down, and there's always somebody who is up. You know, the way that the church, the way that this Christian family, the way that God designs us and wants what's best for us is if you look at the early church, when it says they all came together and they gave what they had and nobody was in need. I think that is ultimately the goal of our giving is that nobody have any needs. And some of us may be doing well now, but later on life be down. Some of us may, and that is going to balance out. As Paul says here, the goal is equality uh, and not socialism, but equality. The one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Part of that practice and part of that principle of being able to give is recognizing and changing our mindset that we can't take our earthly treasure from this world. And even though we may be tempted to determine uh, to lay up our heavenly treasure here on earth, Christ's glory far surpasses that of anything that we can ever have, anything that we can ever buy here. 
Paul explained how we should give, and Paul motivated the Corinthian church to give by way of encouragement. And in doing this, he was able to show God's love from one church to another. Think about the blessing it is to to be struggling and be down and out and wondering how they're going to keep the lights on the next week. And Paul rolls in with this massive bag of of cash of these people that have been saving up and they just want to bless him and how that would change their attitude, how that changes their approach, how it changes their outlook. It helps them to feel cared about, helps them to feel loved, helps them to, it would encourage them to just that God is there and God will take care of them. God shows his love through gifts like that. And God shows his special love through cheerful givers. And we've all experienced someone who gave cheerfully and changed our life because of their attitude of how they were giving. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. This is the purpose for being cheerful givers, is to be able to experience God's grace. And ultimately, God is the greatest gift giver, right? He gives us grace in the moments of when we deserve it and in the mostly the moments when we don't deserve it. All grace will abound to us when we are able to do this. God's grace was the greatest gift. And having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may be abound in every good God's grace allows us to do more than we could ever do outside of God's grace. Think about how your life changed, how your attitude changed, how your approach to everything changed, including your standard of living when you received God's grace, when you understood the difference that that would make in your life, when you were able to experience and understand that God's forgiveness is greater than any treasure that you could ever buy that his peace is worth more than any property you might look at, that his hope is greater than any vehicle that you might ever drive. God's grace abounds beyond all sufficiency in all things at all times. It's a thing that we need more than any other thing, and God gives it to us freely. God shared this with us and Paul shares this experience of grace to this church and he tells them about this and Paul experienced grace on a level that most of us never would experience even as we do bad things Paul did worse things in his own words no one is as great of a sinner as Paul and he understood that grace and could tell these different churches about the grace that covered everything that he did God works in that way He shares his love in that way. He sent his son with that attitude and that approach. And it's because we have all received grace from God that we give all glory to God. And that's that natural process, right? We've received God's grace, and so because of that grace, we can't help but glorify God in the things that we do. In 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 13, Paul says this, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Ultimately, that is what our generosity does. When we uh, have a different standard of giving, we produce thanksgiving to God. We show other people how great God is that he's able to meet their needs, that he's able to provide for them, that he's able to love them, and hopefully we have that opportunity to share the good news of God's grace with them and that that can change their life more than anything we ever give them financially. 
but still for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. The amazing thing to notice in this passage is that when we give voluntarily, proportionally, willingly, sacrificially, and cheerfully, it changes people's lives. Paul said that the two things that result in this ministry are giving the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of the giving of the Corinthian church, the saints in Jerusalem gave glory to God. This flowing generosity that brought glory to God, brought hope to the church in Jerusalem, and allowed the Corinthian church to be proud and share that love with them. God blessed the Corinthian church with finances, not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the Christians in Jerusalem. As a result, the Jerusalem church praised God for the blessings that was sent to them. We probably all have a story or have heard stories of someone who gave to somebody else, who gave generously a gift that somebody wasn't expecting, and it changed their life. And they were able to share how God was able to change them and provide for them in a moment of need, a moment of desperation. And as Christians, ultimately, that is our greatest desire, is to bring glory to God. When it comes to our finances, we should have the the mindset maybe of an Amazon delivery driver, right? Even though somebody else packed it, picked it out, wrapped it, addressed it, stamped it, sent it, when it gets to that Amazon deliver driver, we don't expect them to open it, right? We expect them to do one thing with it. They take it and they go deliver it to the person that it's intended for. Sometimes that's our approach to finances or things that God has given to us. And something that we have to pray about it. Is this for me? Is this for somebody else? Are we just the deliverer that God is using to help bless somebody else? And we get to be part of that blessing by giving it and transporting it. We should strive to have that mentality, to be a church, a family of givers. And then we give... And God takes the money to meet the needs of the community. We give so that we can have a space to worship for other peoples to come experience and connect with God. We give so that we can do things like the Big Serve, the Dollar Club, and help with local ministries like the Twos and Three Building. We give so that kids can have youth programs and share the gospel message through their play next week. We give to support ministries and missions in other countries. As God's people, we give, and hopefully we give generously to help the materially and spiritually, and ultimately so that God will be glorified by the things that we are doing in this building and what he does through us outside this building. So the reminder of this treasure principle is that when God increases our standard of living, use it to increase your standard of giving. There will be a time that you receive blessings from God, and in that moment, you have to decide how you're going to use it. Are you going to use it to increase your standard of living or increase your standard of giving? God gives us more than we can need so that we can give generously. There's a story of this man by the name of R.G. I can't say his last name because he's French. Uh, We're just going to call him RG. Uh, He invented the earth-moving machines, and in this process of inventing earth machines, he made a ton of money, so much that uh, he was 
able to give away 90% of his income. But the more he gave away, as he increased that giving away, even when he used that 90%, he said that, you know, I shovel it out and God shovels it back. But God has a bigger shovel. And he stated that God had given him more than he could ever have. And he had these material blessings, but he just wanted to use it to bless other people. And maybe God is giving you a ton of blessings that you're trying to figure out what to do with. Why has he provided you so much? If you have that, then the answer is probably he wants you to use it to give to somebody else. He's giving you more blessings so that you can increase your standard of giving. We are all, if you look at it and think about it globally, even though maybe it doesn't feel like it because we compare it to our neighbors or we compare it to somebody who has more than us, but if you look at American as, as a whole, we truly are blessed. At times, we forget that we are part of the most blessed nation by God, and our standard of living far surpasses that of a majority of the world. But let's go back and question at the beginning and change it based on that. Instead of increasing our standard of living, we should increase our standard of giving. You know, the question that I asked is, as we dreamed about increasing our standard of living, most of those things were because we wanted something more. We want something better. And most of the times we would use it to benefit ourselves in some way. But instead of having that mentality of using those different things to help ourselves, we used that and had a mentality of helping others. If we take on the mindset of what God really truly desires from us, instead of asking what does a 10 cent raise do for me, we can ask what does a 10 cent raise do for somebody else? How can I use $200 a year to help somebody else? Maybe it'll pay for half of a tank of the gas. Maybe it'll for somebody who's down and out. Maybe to buy a meal for someone who is hungry. Maybe it'd buy a book that somebody might be impacted spiritually speaking. Maybe it's a Bible that will change someone's life in another country. When your salary, your standard living increases by a dollar and you have $2,000 to invest in God's kingdom, how are you going to give that away? What are the things you can do in somebody else's life? $2,000 could allow somebody in a mission to really change their approach to ministry. Maybe it'll allow them to buy something that will help them be more efficient in the way that God is going to use that mission. You know, that, that 20000 if you have 20000 how much impact could that have in a place? A 20000 could change the type of resources that a company has. It might change the product they are able to put out to help put out something that is more appealing and more attractive. Maybe it changes how many people they're able to reach out to. It changes how many meals they're able to serve on a Thanksgiving dinner or, or the, the day or allow their Christmas giveaway to be that much better. If you had a $100 raise, what difference could 200000 make to the community? Maybe you could build a school. Maybe you could build a hospital in another place. You know, if we dream about the ways that we can give that away, it's so much more beneficial not only to us, but to other people if we have that different mentality of not just raising our standard of living, but raising our standard of giving. And, you know, today we have that chance to always change our mindset. Maybe there's something that's coming up in your life. Maybe there's something that just happened in your life that's changed your standard of living. Maybe it's time to start praying about how to use that change, how to increase your different standards of giving just as God has given you more. What difference can you make not only in the lives of yourself, but in the lives of others? God is giving you this blessing to share with other people. 
And really, that is what you need to be thinking about and praying about, is how will you increase your standard of giving? It's neat to hear stories of how God has blessed different people with different things and given different surprises in their lives. And I would encourage you to constantly be praying to ask God, how does he want you to use the resources that he has blessed you with? How can you increase the things that you're doing? How can you change the lives of somebody else? I hope that you take the time to pray about that. You begin to study that and go to God and ask him, how do you want me to give this? How do you want me to use the resources that you've given to me? And I pray that you don't miss out on making a difference that could change somebody else's life and maybe increase their standard of living in the process.